huge, huge thing, isn't it? And uh, it is certainly worthy of us taking some time to understand uh, what, what is the fullness of this word biblically. And uh, that's what we're going to do over the next weeks, right? We're going to look at uh, that real F word uh, that ought to be used more than the other F word in our world, and that's uh, forgiveness, right? And so today, we're going to get the foundation of understanding, you know, hopefully understanding what does it really mean to receive forgiveness, and then as we move forward, talk about, okay, so how do we apply that to ourselves, right? How do we really get that into us? And then second, how do we share that with other people, and how do we keep living that, and how do we just have an ongoing attitude of being grace-oriented, living forgiven people? So that's kind of the flow of what we're going to do over the next uh, weeks. So today, we start talking about Finding forgiveness, the foundation, because you can't do the other stuff if you don't get what we're going to talk about today. And the best place for us to look at trying to understand uh, forgiveness in its absolute fullness is in Luke 15. So if you got your Bibles with you, uh, get to Luke 15. You got your apps, whatever it is, you know, open them up, get to Luke 15. We're going to stay there. Uh, today, a few other verses, but mostly uh, right there in Luke 15. And it is the story of the prodigal son. So let's check the house. How many of you know the story of the prodigal son? Okay, most of you do, right? All right, excellent. So stay awake and uh, track with me here because you know the story. But fundamentally, right, it's, uh, it's out of Luke 15, and it's a great story, profound story uh, for us. But it's also in the middle of other stories. Jesus, in his teaching style, would use parables. He'd use stories to make a point, to illustrate what he wanted people to get, right? And so if you go into Luke 15, that's what he's doing. He's in a profound teaching moment, uh, and he's using these parables, these stories, in order to get his point across. And he's been teaching already, and it says when you get to the prodigal son story, it says in verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, and then he goes on to tell the story of the prodigal son. So, I mean, right away, the question has to be, to illustrate this point, illustrate what point, right? I mean, what? Because he's been already illustrating a point with the previous stories. And the previous two stories I listed for you there are the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. Do you see any word that is consistent in those two titles? Yes, it would be the word lost, exactly. So something is being illustrated here, and something has to do with something being lost. And it would be easy to kind of stop there and say, well, okay, lost coin, lost sheep, prodigal son, well, must be lost son. Well, yes, kind of, but I hope before we're done today, you're going to see there's so, something so much deeper about what gets lost uh, in life. What gets lost? You can see it when you get into the story uh, itself. So the son is the younger son. He goes to the dad and he says, Dad, uh, you know, I want to go my own way, so I want one-third of, I want my inheritance, which is one-third of your estate. I want it now uh, so I can go off and do my own thing, right? And amazingly, incredibly, Uh, the dad agrees. And that's the way it worked back then, right? The oldest son got two-thirds of the estate, and the youngest son 
uh, got one-third of the estate. Great to be the oldest, right? <laughs> yeah, baby. Uh, doesn't work that way anymore, right? But that's the way it worked back then. The oldest got two-thirds. Uh, the youngest got uh, one-third of the estate. But I want you to think about when he goes to the father, as offensive as that is, right? When you think about it, as offensive as that is, think about what the, the young boy is really saying here. Think about what he's really saying. I mean, wouldn't it be something like, listen, Dad, I just want to go my own way. I am absolutely sick and tired of living under your influence and following your direction. I just want my one-third so I can get away from you, so I can go off and live life the way I want to live life, so I can do it my own way, so I can decide how to use my money, so I can decide the choices I want to make about my life. I just want to get away from your influence. Is that fair? I mean, that's kind of what's going on, right? He's saying, listen, I'm done. I'm out of here. I've had it. I do not want to live in relationship with you, Dad, anymore. And I want to be able to go off and do it my own way. Oh, and by the way, I'd like you to give me the resources to be able to do that. That's how offensive this ask really is. And that's what makes it even more amazing that the father actually does it, right? This shows you from the get-go, this shows you from the beginning how incredibly loved this son is, that the father would do what the son is asking for. He would give him the freedom. He would do that. He would have to liquidate one-third of his estate. How many folks in the room can just liquidate one-third of your estate like that? And then give it to your son... And if he knows his son, which I'm sure he does, give it to your son knowing, projecting, assuming, understanding absolutely what's probably going to happen when he starts living life, making his own decisions without having any influence of yours. And yet, the father does it. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And as one might predict... In verse 13, it picks up, and it says, A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. So he gets exactly what he wants. He is now away from the father. He is away from the dad's influence. He doesn't have to do it dad's way anymore, think about dad's stuff anymore. He doesn't have to be on the influence of dad anymore. He is on his own. He is his own man. He is making his own decisions. And so... He packs up those belongings, he moves physically far away from the father, and he wasted all his money in, say it with me, wild living. I think I said that better than you did. Come on, you can do that better. He did it wild living, right? This is like Vegas on steroids, right? Whatever you can imagine, whatever stays in a distant land, you know, happens in a distant land, stays in a distant land, right? They just wrap it up and say, distant land, wild living, right? I mean, he was just off the charts. But what was he doing? What was he doing? He was doing everything he wanted. Whatever his desire, whatever his decision led him to, totally absent was the influence of the Father. And look who loses. Look who loses. Wild living. About that time, his money ran out. So what did he lose? 
all his dough. He lost all his money. His money ran out. A great famine swept over land, and he began to starve. What did he lose? <laughs> Even his ability to eat something, right? He loses. He's persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and, a man, and the man set him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, remember, this is a good Jewish boy. Pigs are unclean animals. The idea, when Jesus is first telling this story, that a young Jewish boy would have that kind of job would be unthinkable. So he loses even his dignity and his identity. Who's losing? Who's losing? You see, on the surface, it's easy to think this story is about a father that loses a son. No. It's about a son who loses his life. He loses his life. I tried to illustrate it in the first slide with this kind of topic for you to say what's going on here really is the son is losing a better way of life with the father. He is losing a better way of life for a lesser way of living. He's losing a better way of life. Where did he have it better? On his own or when he was under the influence of the father? Duh. Right? Do you know how many people you know who live that way? Who've traded away the possibility for a greater life, for a lesser life, because they're saying, I'm going to do it my way. Frank Sinatra and all, right? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to make my own decisions going to go according to my own desires. And what's totally absent? I'm going to do it my way. I am not going to listen to the influence of the Father. And the outcome? You lose a better way of life for a lesser way of life. You lose a better way of life for a fester, for a lesser way of life. There are so many people in this world. You can see them. They are around you. You know them. They're in your family. They're, they're in your work environment. They are out there and they're all pursuing what they think somehow is the best way of life that the world describes. And they're living under the influence of choices and desires instead of the influence of the Father. And truth? Some of you are doing the same thing. Some of you are doing the same thing. That you're just not at that place where you're ready to say, my life is totally under the influence and the direction of the Father because I know that's the best way to live. That's the best way I can experience an incredible life. And instead, you keep making decisions on your own. You keep making choices on your own. And you just trade away the possibility of a greater life and you live the lesser life. It's exactly what the son did. Until, until finally he gets to a place where it, scripture says he comes to his senses. What a great term, right? Great phrase. He comes to his senses. That's one of those should have had a V8 moments, right? Right? He comes to his senses. Right? What is he doing? In the story, the son now out there 
absolutely lost, right? He's lost this, he's lost this, he's lost this. It says he finally looks around, looks at his life, takes an honest evaluation of his life, and he comes to his senses. What is he doing? He faces his own fault and his own failure, and he understands it's his. He faces his fault, he faces his failure, and he owns it. He understands it's his. It's in the text. It says he's thinking, he's looking at his life, honest examination. He says, look, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, honest look at his life. Here I am doing what? Dying. Trading a greater life for a lesser life. Dying. Here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to the Father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He does an honest examination of his life, and he owns the responsibility. I, I have sinned against both heaven and you. This is amazing. Because you know what most of us do? You know what most of the world does? They find excuses. They find other reasons. For the son, it would have gone something like this. It would have been, you know, if dad would have given me the two-thirds and not just the one-third, I'd still be doing good. I mean, if dad would have been a little more equitable and not just slighted me off with one-third, then, you know, I mean, this would not be the case. I'd be in a whole lot better shape. You could hear that, couldn't you? Or... I mean, who would know? I mean, who could ever guess or envision the possibility that a famine would come over the land? I mean, that's like totally not my fault. I mean, who could ever understand or, or ever forecast the possibility that a famine this severe was going to come over the land and put me in such a difficult spot? Could have done that. There's so many people that do that. They, they try to look at an honest evaluation of their life, and, and all they can do is make excuse of why their choices and their decisions didn't lead them there. And that's just not the truth. I mean, that's the thing that walking with Christ gives us, the ability to just face the truth. If you look at Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul just calls it out, right? He just calls it out. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Did he just kind of call it out the way it is? Honest evaluation. Honest evaluation. That's the call. That's the invitation. Some of you today, you're in that place right now where you're thinking about, wait a minute, maybe I'm not living the greater life. Maybe I'm trading away for a lesser life. Ask the question. Ask the question. Do an honest evaluation. Do an honest evaluation of your life and be able to ask, am I living under the influence of the Father or am I just doing it my own way? And those folks around you, those, those other family members, friends, those folks you work with, those those folks that are living, that are trading away a greater life for a lesser life, how can you begin to talk to them in compassion and kindness about the possibility of looking honestly at where life is? That's what the young prodigal son does. He looks honestly 
at where life is. And when he does that, he comes to an amazing realization. He realizes he is better off at home. He's better off at home. He says, at home, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. What did he just do? I'm looking at my life, and man, it's not good. This is not where it ought to be. And he knows now and remembers by comparison at home, when I was under the influence of the Father at home. And so what does he decide? I will go home to my Father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the text even says he decides he'll go home and say to dad, listen, I don't deserve to be your son. I will be a slave in your household, and that will be good enough. Think about this. When he first got his inheritance and he left, what was the big deal? He left because he wanted to make his own decisions. He wanted to do it his way. He did not want to be the influence of the father. He didn't want to listen to what dad had to tell him to do anymore. Now, after this life experience after he realizes he's not living at all, he's willing to go back and be a slave to his father. What does a slave do? Whatever the father says. No choice. That's how far this young man has come. That's how far he's come to realize the best thing in his life is when he lives listening directly to the influence of of the Father, and He's willing to go there. He's willing to go there, even to the point of being that slave. This is an amazing story. This is an amazing, what Jesus just said is absolutely an amazing experience because He's telling this story to a group of, you know, Jewish folks, right? And this story, by the way, is not a new story. There were other rabbis who had told a parallel story to this story. The only difference is the other rabbis told the story and they told the story with a completely different ending. Right? They told the story with an Old Testament judgmental ending. And it was all based on this verse out of Deuteronomy. Right? In Deuteronomy it says, parents, you're going to love this one. You're going to probably highlight this, read it to your kids this afternoon. Suppose a man has a stubborn or rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the gates. The parents must say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Feeling okay so far? Mom and dad are going, (laughs) Right? Yeah. And here's the outcome. Then all the men of this town must stone him to death. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. Anybody want to sign up for that one? Yeah, the kids are not. No, right. But this is what's amazing about the story. This is the outcome that everybody expects. Hey, you made your bed. You know the answer? Lie in it. Right? That's the way the world thinks. Hey, you know, you made your bed, man. Lie in it. That's not the answer. That's not the answer Jesus gives. That's not the answer he gives. 
in spite of the offense, in spite of the absolute offense that the younger son has perpetrated on the father, even going to him and asking for this money, right? And even though the father amazingly gave it to him and and gave him the one-third and let him go, right? In spite of all of that offense, look what happens in the story. So the son decides to return home. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Think about this. How could the father see him coming from a long way off? I mean, not just the end of the driveway. How, how could the father see him from a long way off? Because the father scanned the horizon every single day, longing to see the speck of possibility that his son would come home. That's what God does every day. That's the way he looks at your life every single day. He looks at your life every single day at a long distance, longing, longing that you would just let him be the influence of your life. Longing that he could do exactly what this father does. When he sees the son, the son returns. He's a long way off. And the father is filled with love and compassion and he runs to the son and he embraces him and he kisses him. Think about this. This is the old man. This is the father. Now keep in mind back in those days Nike was not around, right? So jogging suits and all that swank, workout clothing and all that, this is not what they wore every day, right? They wore long, you know, skirty stuff, right? Long robe kind of stuff. So think of what the father has to do. The father has to hike up his, his stuff, right? He's got to hike this thing up and start running with reckless abandon, exposing his bare legs. In that culture, that was absolutely, totally undignified. Undignified. Irresponsible. And then when he gets to the kid, what does he do? Love and compassion. He, he throws his arms around him and he embraces him. Now, got to keep in mind, what was the young man doing before he came home? He was slopping hogs. Been around hogs, they don't smell so good. How do you think this son smells? He's got a lot of stank on him. Hmm? I mean, not just for the father's nose. There's a lot of stink on him. A lot of stink. And yet the father does what next? Kisses him. And when in the Greek, this word in the Greek, this isn't just kind of like the, hey son, man hug, you know? No, this, this is the father lavishing him with kisses. Overwhelming, lavishing him with kisses. You see, this is forgiveness. This is forgiveness. This is exactly, this is exactly what God desires to do in each one of our lives over and over and over. Every single time that you get this harebrained idea that you're going to live life your own way, 
that you're going to make decisions without him, that you're going to decide what's best for you. Every single time when you get distant from the Father, he scans the horizon in love and compassion and cannot wait to just overwhelm you with his grace when you come to your senses and say it's time to go home. He can't wait to embrace you in spite of your stank. So the father embraces the son and he restores him. This is amazing. The son comes back saying, listen, I'm good enough to be a slave, dad. I forfeited my right. And look how the father responds. It's like he doesn't even listen to the son. It's like it, it doesn't even register, right? Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get the ring. Get it for his finger. Get some sandals for his feet. And kill the fatted calf because we got a party hardy. The father overwhelmingly lavishes his love and compassion on the son. And then he physically gives him absolute restoration of his identity. That's what the whole ring, robe, sandal thing is all about. He restores him. He restores him. And the son is once again a prince in the household. This is forgiveness. This is forgiveness. And this is the question of the day. Have you understood to the point of surrender that you get it, that you're willing to receive it, that you can take all the stink that's on you, that you can take all the faults and the failures, that you can take all those times and you, you just, I'm going to do it my own way, and just look at your life and say, that's done. Because the best way of life is to live in the home, in the influence of the Father. And let God just lavish you. Even though you don't deserve it, even though you can't earn it, there's nothing you can to let him just run to you and embrace you and lavish you and restore you and say what he says in the end here. we got to celebrate with a feast. Why? For this son of mine was, what's the word? Dead. And now he's been returned to? Whoa. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is that incredible grace we don't deserve that trades our death and makes us alive. This is what he offers you today. This is the forgiveness. And when you get this, when you receive that, when you look at life and you say, yes, that, I want to live from now on under the absolute influence of the Father. I want to just live lavished and let my life be about what he wants. And you receive that kind of forgiveness? Then you'll get all the rest of the weeks. Your life's going to change. Your relationships are going to change. Everything's going to change because you begin to live as that person, forgiven, a forgiven person. Let's pray. Father, thanks today. Thanks. We hope today the party would begin. We just hope today that the party would begin, the feast would begin in somebody's life right now. Somebody in this room somebody in a family that's in this room, somebody, a relationship, that, that the party would begin because they would just come to know you, that they would look at their life, they would just surrender their life and say, I need the love of the Father.
I need the influence of the Father. I need to live life His way. I'm tired of trying to do it mine. And Lord, we thank you that we can come before you even though we don't deserve it with all the stank that's on us. We can come before you and know that you will forgive. You showed it to us. You accomplished it when Jesus Christ gave up his life on a cross so that we could live. So Lord, we come to you now. We admit our faults and our failures and we plead, help us to receive the fullness of that forgiveness that we are no longer dead but they were really significantly alive. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.